0: Well, good morning, Jarheads. Uh, we're so glad that you're here this morning, and uh, if you would, there's a little card in your program. It looks like this. It says "Get Connected." And that's what we would really like to do is to get connected with you. And so if you could fill that out for us, uh, we would appreciate it. And uh, we promise we won't uh, knock on your door or anything like that, but might send you a little card and uh, let you know that we're glad that you're here. So if you could uh, fill that out, that'd be great. And we'll collect that uh, at the end of the celebration. So just hold on to that, and we'll collect that. Well, uh, today, right after this celebration, we're going to have our baptism class. And if you have never been baptized, my question to you is, why not? Like, what is holding you back? What uh, is it? A lot of times people will say, well... You know, I just got to get my life together first, and then I'll do that. Folks, baptism is not about getting your life together first. It's about giving your life to the one who can help you to get your life together. And so right after this, there'll be lunch provided, there'll also be childcare. So if you've never been baptized before, I'm teaching a class, would love for you to come, uh, be a part of that, check it out, uh, and it'll be in the uh, jar cafe. Well, next week we're starting a brand new series called Get Out. Now, I don't mean for you to get out right now, okay? Some of you barred the doors. Um, But what we're going to be talking about is how to get out of temptation. Uh, Temptation is something that hits all of our lives, uh, no matter who you are. Uh, If you're like me, there's often this seductive little whisper that comes in my ear and wants to twist things around to say, this is what you want, and it turns into what I think I need. And so in the midst of that, temptation can be one of those things that can really uh, be a trial for us, and we can be trapped in the midst of that. So next week, make sure you come back as we talk about uh, how we can say, get out. Because this is the thing, no matter the temptation that comes your way, and we're all tempted, God will help us get out because he always gives us a way out. And that's what we'll be talking about next week. Um, If you want to invite a friend, uh, there's a little card in your program. It just says, get out. Now, don't take this up to your boss and go, here, I got a gift for you, you know. All right, don't do that. But... uh, Someone uh, in your life, coworker, neighbor, friend—they're struggling with temptations too, and they want to get better at that. So take this and invite them, or you can go onto our Jar Facebook page, and you could do that right now. So everybody, if you have a smartphone, get it out for just a second. Okay, I'm I'm not smart, so I don't have my phone here. Okay, but pull that out, and what I'd like you to do is just post this uh, on your page. Okay, uh, it's on there right now. All you have to do is share, uh, and then you can send it to your family and friends. If you don't have that phone, take a picture and uh, just text somebody real quick. And I want to give you just a couple of minutes to do that. So do it right now while you're thinking about it, and uh, we'll give some mood music for you to do that. Okay, so go ahead. Uh,
1: So go ahead
0: and uh, do that. If you get bored later on, I've gone through this once, and you might. So uh, if you do, uh, just go ahead and... uh, text somebody else or invite somebody else to come uh, next week. Well, a few months ago, I was uh, driving our car and my youngest daughter, Shiloh, who's eight years old, was in the back seat. And, you know, often when you're in a car with your child, if you're a parent or grandparent or aunt, uncle, and you've driven a child before, there will be questions that come from the back seat up to the front seat. And this was the question that Shiloh had for me. Dad, are we rich? And I really didn't know how to respond to it, so I paused a moment, and then I just asked her, I said, well, what do you mean by rich? And she said, well, I mean, you know, do we have a lot more money than people? And so I paused again, and thought, God, help me have a good response right now. And I said, well... We have more money than some people, and we have less money than other people. And she said, but it's more important to be rich in God, right, Dad? And I thought, why didn't you say that at the beginning, you know? So today, this is basically Shiloh's message to you, okay? But this is what I know about human beings that regardless of your age, you want to be richer. Regardless of how old you are, whether you're 8 or 80, you want to be richer. So if you're here for the very first time, you picked a good Sunday to come, because we're going to talk about how you can become rich. Okay, How you can be rich. Now the reality is, everyone, somewhere deep down inside of them, is thinking, if I just had a little more, if I was just worth a little more. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling financially or something's uh, difficult and uh, there are many pressures in the world that come, and often we just feel like, if I could have just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And so this morning, what we want to look at is a passage of Scripture in... uh, 1 Timothy, written by a guy by the name of Paul. And he writes this letter to this guy named Timothy, who is his mentee, kind of his apprentice. And he instructs him in many different things in this first letter to him. But one of the things that he talks about is how to focus and deal with rich people. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 17... they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that last phrase is kind of our big idea this morning, that by the end of our uh, time together, this is what I want you to hopefully place into your world, is that you can take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, somehow there is this odd connection between what you do with your money and the kind of life that you experience. And Paul says, I pray that they may take hold of life that is truly life. What what an inspiring phrase. So for the rest of our time, what we're going to do is we're going to go through these verses, just kind of verse by verse, going through them. And at the end, I hope that you'll be able to take hold of a life that is truly life. Again, Paul starts off this way. He says, command those who are rich. Now, when I hear those words, I always want to look over my shoulder like, who's he talking to? It must be somebody behind me, right? It must be somebody who has more. It must be somebody who has more wealth than I do. Who has more stuff. Than I do. Because if you think about it, that term rich is pretty relative. And we often determine who is rich based upon what we have or what we don't have. There was an article in the New York Times uh, a while back, and it talked about how the word rich changes based upon your income. So the question was posed, how much would it take for you to be rich? How much would it take? Just think about it for yourself. How much would it take for you to be rich? Well, they asked this question, and this is what they found. With households making under $25,000, so everybody in the household, but you make less than $25,000, the average response was if they were going to be rich, it would be 293000 the next thing was for that household income. If you made thirty to sixty thousand, to be rich, they said it'd be three hundred ninety-four thousand. And then sixty thousand to one hundred twenty thousand, they said you'd have to make four hundred twenty-five thousand. And then if you were in the top fifteen percent in the United States and you made over one hundred twenty thousand, they said that you would have to make five hundred one thousand. Isn't it interesting they didn't just say 500, they had to put that one on top of it, right? Now, here's the thing that I want to ask you this morning. Does anyone see a pattern here? What's the pattern? Everybody thinks they need more to be rich. Whether you make less or you make a lot, they want to make more because... Being rich just simply equates having more. If someone has a bigger house than I do. If someone has more stuff than I do. If someone has better furniture than I do. If someone has less rust on their car than I do. I have a 2002 Suburban. There's rust now on the bottom. And I see these new Tahoes and Suburbans that come up, and they're all nice, and I just get angry. But then I think this, I'm not making a car payment, you know, and then I don't mind the rust, get a spray can out, you know, spray it down there. So this is what we kind of struggle with, that we think people are rich who have more stuff, people who have more Xbox games than I do. They're rich. Now, here's the truth about your income when it comes to the world. Because many times, all we do is we compare to our neighbors, people in our family, people in our community, but you really should think about the whole world. Because there's 7 billion people in the world, and there's only about 375 million in the United States. So let's look at your income compared to the rest of the world. Here it is. Your household income, if you made $1,500 last year, you're in the top 25% in the world. If you made more than $25,000, your whole household income, you're in the top 10% in the world. If you made more than $50,000 as a household, you are in the top 1% in the world. That's who you are. So what does this mean? Well, I'll just start with me. I'm rich. I am. I don't like that word. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me seem like I'm snooty. It makes me think that I'm one of those country club kids that you grew up, you know, in elementary and middle school, and you tried to beat them up every time in the, you know, restroom or something. But here's what I know that's true. For most of you here, you're rich. If you made more than $1,500 last year, folks, you're in the top 25% in the world. That's who you are. If you just look at your income compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. Now, there is a reason why some of you right now are not crying out. Thank you, Lord. I walked in here today and I was so depressed and discouraged and overwhelmed. But pastor Boy stood up there and said, you are filthy rich. <laughs> now, why didn't you guys cry that out? I just gave you some good news. It's because here's the thing about you rich people. Rich people don't feel rich. Rich people don't feel rich. My first job was as an environmental landscape engineer. In other words, I mowed lawns, okay? That's what rich people do, too. They make bigger titles, you know, make them sound better. And I mowed lawns, and I'll never forget the very first week I mowed aunt's lawn, my uncle's lawn, different people's lawn. At the end of the week, I made 50 bucks. And I thought I had won the lottery, you know. I thought I was the richest person in the world. Now, here's what's so ironic about that. Even though I have made much more money, much more money than $50 since that time, I have continually felt less rich. Why? It's not because that I have less. It's because I become more and more and more and more aware of people around me who have more. Let me say that again. It's not because I have less, but it's because I become more and more and more aware of people who have more. So when Paul says, command those who are rich That is why he's talking, I always think, to somebody else. To somebody with more. But the truth is this, folks. He's talking to me, and he's talking to most of us. In fact, even if you're homeless, And you don't think this applies to you. This is the truth that I know, because I've got friends who are homeless and I talk to them regularly, that money can control their lives too. Money can control anybody's life, how little you have or how much you have. Now, since most of us in this room are considered rich compared to the rest of the world, Paul then says, command those who are rich. Now, notice he doesn't say here, He doesn't say that you should feel guilty or bad that you have money. He doesn't say that you should think that money is evil or sinful. You know, people will say this all the time. They'll say, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say, don't ever be concerned about your financial situation. How many of you have ever been concerned about your financial situation in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, now all those people that didn't raise their hand, what do we call them? Liars. They're liars. Because you've all been concerned about, don't act like an open, never have. Yeah, you have. In fact, let me just say this, if you're battling with debt right now and you're struggling with that, You should make whatever priority you can to come to financial peace tomorrow. There's an invitation for you to come to the JAR office, and you can actually learn how to change your financial situation around. And you can sign up on our app or on the website, go to the resource table and tell them. But this is the thing. Don't go through another year thinking, oh, it's going to get better. Because it's not. If it was bad before and it's still bad as you started this year, it's going to get worse. So why not do the hard step right now and just get it taken care of and get your money to start working God's way? Well, Paul goes on to say this. Command those who are rich not to be arrogant. Have you ever seen, a, uh, have you ever seen money change a person before? Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, me too. Now, here's what's funny when I ask this question. I did the same thing in the first celebration. People were like, yeah, I've seen that. This is the problem. We always see it in other people, but we refuse to believe that that person could ever be us. Now, truth is we think that money changes other people, but that money never changes us. Money changes My neighbor, my family member, my sister-in-law, who's snooty, but it doesn't change me. But studies show, actually, that the more money you get, it actually has a tendency to decrease your compassion and empathy for other people. It doesn't increase empathy and compassion. It actually lowers it. I'm going to put a picture on the side screen. What board game is this? Look at that. You all know that. Now, I read a study this week. Think about this. People actually get paid to do a study where they watch thousands of kids over time, but just two at a time, play Monopoly. Wouldn't you like to have that gig? You just sit there and observe two kids playing Monopoly the whole time. That's how they made their money on this research. Well, they talked about what they found across the board Is this is what happened. They would take the money, fake money, and they would give an unequal amount to the two kids that were playing it. One kid, they would give a whole bunch of money. The other one would just give give them $200, the starting amount. And at first, the study showed that the kid who had a whole lot of money, he would uh, feel kind of bad that he had so much resources than the other person kind of felt guilty about it. But as the game unfolded, and he started realizing that he could buy more properties and get houses and hotels on it, he became more and more aggressive. And they said one thing that they noticed is that when the kids would move their little uh, you know, parts, whether it was a hat or a car or the dog or whatever the little piece is, they would start going like this. Louder and louder and louder and more aggressive doing it. And then they would start talking smack to the other person. Like, dude, you don't have anything. I'm going to bankrupt you. It's kind of like when my dad and my kids play with each other. He's got a bad mouth, you know. Just like going off on my two kids. I don't know what it is. So here was the conclusion of... This whole thing. This is what they came up with. Having more fake money than someone else can still make you a jerk. (laughs) It's not even real money. But it can make you a jerk. You know, there's just something about having more that builds a sense of arrogance and entitlement within us. When you don't know how to be rich, money starts to change you, and it goes to your head. It creates a sense of power and privilege. It creates a sense of, I deserve it. It creates a sense that I'm better than another person. So Paul starts right at the beginning where he should, command those who are rich not to be arrogant, and then he goes, nor to put their hope in money or wealth. Folks, the more money you have, the more you're tempted to put your hope in it. You believe that now that it's going to provide me more security, more contentment, more protection, more satisfaction. The first church that I pastored was in Flora, Indiana, in Carroll County, the top pork producing county in the state where there are more pigs than people uh, per capita. And while I was there, I got to meet a guy by the name of Vernon. Vernon was an extremely wealthy farmer. He owned thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. He had thousands of hogs and different hog farms all over the county. And he owned dozens and dozens of homesteads where he would actually rent those out to people, make them pay much more money in rent than they could somewhere else, and he collected all of it. And at the end of his life, his health had greatly deteriorated, so much so that he had come down to the point where he was worried that he might not get to the hospital first. So he, there were only four condominiums in the entire town, and he bought the condominium that was closest to the EMT station. So that if something happened to him, they could be there lickety-split to get him to Lafayette or Kokomo to get to the hospital. Well, when I finally met him, he had come down with the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. He didn't talk at all. He had this stare to his face. And his wife was there, and I got to know her. And I learned this, that he had made a lot of money. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And he wasn't just a millionaire. He was like a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. But this was a strange thing. Outside of his wife and myself, I never saw anyone else when I visited ever come in to visit this man. I never saw any of his farm hands. I never saw any of his employees, none of his renters. I never even saw any of his children or grandchildren. And I finally got to know his wife well enough to say, well, they don't come around because he neglected everyone else to become more rich. And I'll never forget that phrase. He neglected everyone else to become more rich. And one of the last times I visited Vernon, I looked at him and I had so much pity. And I thought to myself, you know, you did this life thing wrong. You didn't live the life that was truly life. Well, that was over 20 years ago. And I was young and I was dumb. And this is what I know now. That over the past 20 years, there have been times in my life in which I have acted for moments just like Vernon. There are times that I have neglected my family so that I could work. There are times in which I'll be at home and I'm sitting on the couch taking it easy, watching television, and then all of a sudden, World Vision comes on or Feed the Hungry or St. Jude's and the first thing I want to do is change the channel because I don't want to deal with what's on the television screen. There are times in which people have come to me and they've asked for money And because I've gotten burnt in the past, rather than listening to their story and asking God, God, how would you want me to give? These are all your resources anyways. I just immediately say, no. There are times in which I'll come to an intersection, and this happened uh, several years ago, but I'll never forget this. I came up to an intersection and there was a person that was holding a sign that said, Homeless, anything would help. And I watched and I looked behind, I looked past the person to see the Mercedes that was driving right behind it. You see, folks, there are times in my life in which I forget. It's almost like I'm wired to forget, to put out of my mind, to ignore Jesus' greatest commandment to be able to give. To other people, to give love and to give generously no matter who they are. Folks, there's just something about money that leads us to believe, it kind of tempts us to believe, that our lives are going to be safer and more secure and happier and more content if we just have more. We think in our minds, my life will be more secure. My family will be more secure. My future will be more secure. If I just had more money. And we give into this myth of more. That more would do that for me. And when we give into the myth, this is what we do. We work longer hours and we spend less time with the people that we care for. And our relationships suffer. We make choices at work that we would never make on Sunday or any other day, but we make it there because we want to look good in front of everybody else. And we want to try to get that promotion. We cling tightly to our own resources and we stop being open-handed, generous people to the people around us. And it's why people who make more, on average, tend to give less. The writer of Ecclesiastes put it this way, and it's so true. Those who love money never have enough. Those who love wealth are never satisfied with their income. Folks, what this means is that we have to confront this feeling that I don't have enough or I'm not satisfied. It's not necessarily a sign when you think that, when you feel that, that it's true. It's a sign that you love something more and I've been there myself and it's that you love the money. Now today, regardless of where you're at in your financial situation, regardless of how little you have or how much you have, let me ask you this question. It'll come up on the side screens. You answer it. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable possibilities? How much money would you need to feel secure, to feel protected? How much money do you need? And it's not only just money for you, but you need money for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids. What is it? How much? What's the number? You want to know the answer? More than I currently have. Isn't that right? No matter who you are, if I ask that question, you'd say... Well, more than I currently have right now. Now, folks, here's the thing. Your money isn't the problem. Why you believe about your money is the problem. Let me say that again. Your money's not the problem. Why you believe about your money is the problem. It's the way that we count on it. We cling to it. We hold it tightly. We attach our hope... Thinking that it's the hope of the world. It's the way it tempts us to believe that we will, if we have enough of it, we'll have a perfect life. We'll have a better life. And it lies to you. It says things like this. Well, you know, if you just had so much, it would be better there. And this is what I found in my own life. Once you get there, guess what? It's not enough. And so the road keeps on going longer because of there. You know, during seminary, I uh, had the opportunity to work as a chaplain at a hospital in Kokomo, Indiana. And I did it for a summer, and I worked in the oncology unit, the cancer center. And I mainly worked with terminally ill patients who had weeks or months left in their life. And let me tell you something, in the midst of that experience, I never heard a single one of them say, you know what? I wish I would have just put more trust in money. I never heard him say that. Amen. I never heard them say, I wish I had put more of my life into accumulating more and more and more stuff. I wish I would have spent more. I wish I would have bought more. I wish I had more. I never heard any of those patients ever say that. Why? Because money can do a lot of things for you, folks. It can give you more choices. It can make things more convenient. It can open up doors. It can bring a certain feeling to your life. It can bring a sense of experience or pleasure or satisfaction that you will let, think will last forever. It can even bring a John Deere tractor combine to the parking lot of your funeral with all the bells and all the whistles that cost $400,000 when they pulled it up to Vernon's funeral. But you know what, folks? It didn't go with him. And his fields didn't go with him and his hogs didn't go with him and his homesteads didn't go with him. Money can give you provision, but it's not the provider. Therefore, it's deeply limited, and Paul says it's insecure. Now, some of you are sitting right now, and you're like, oh man, this is the Sunday I picked to come. I don't like to talk about my future, and like all this stuff, with how much money, and ah, I just don't know. Well, okay, let me just ask you this. What's the most important thing in your life? Think about the things that are important in your life and what is it that money can do and what is it that money can't do. Money can't fix a relationship that is broken or a marriage that is on the rocks. It can't change the heart of a loved one or a child who has turned their backs against you. It can't heal your addiction or loneliness or despair. It can't put a John Deere combine in your coffin to take with you. So when you put your hope in money, you simply put it in the wrong thing. So what do we do? Paul says this. Command those who are rich not to put their hope in money, which is uncertain, which is unreliable, which comes and goes, which doesn't care, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything For our enjoyment. But let me ask you this. Do you believe that? Like you can read that and you go, Ah, yeah, it looks good. I think that's it. But do you believe it? Do you believe that God can richly provide you with everything that you need? Do you believe that He's reliable? Do you believe that He cares? He's constantly thinking about you and He cares about you. Now, let me say this. It's not easy to trust God. It's not. It's not easy to trust Him at all. I'm not saying that in our day, in Muncie, Indiana, where the poverty rate is close to 46%, and things are struggling around us, I'm not saying that trusting God is easy or simple. But just because trusting God may feel risky, it doesn't mean, folks, that you have a better long-term option. Because you don't. Let me put it this way. There's a little uh, scale in your program. If you could pull out your program out, or you can do it on the app as well. But there's a little scale that's there, and there's a, two questions to this scale. The scale is from 0 to 10. And here's the first question. How much does your money care about you? So go ahead, circle one of those numbers. How much does your money care about you? How many answered zero? Okay, some of you didn't raise your hands, we'll talk to you afterwards, okay? (laughs) on a scale of zero to ten, your money cares about you zero. Zilch. Nada. It does not care about you at all. It doesn't care about your preferences for your life. If you get real sad, it doesn't care. It doesn't get sad with you. If you're mourning, it doesn't mourn with you. It doesn't care if you have a little or you have a lot in your bank account. In fact, it doesn't even care if some of your money's in another bank account with somebody else. It just doesn't care. Now, let me ask you a second question. Same thing there in your program or on the app. From zero to ten, how much does God care about you? Go ahead. Write down a number. Be honest. Zero to ten, what does God, how much does God care about? Well, let me give you the answer. The answer is ten. Okay? Now, this is the truth that I know, though. Pastor boy up there, you can say, oh, you're a ten, you know. But this is what I know. This week, some of you didn't think God cared for you much at all. And if you were honest, you might say it's a one, it's a two, maybe a three. And you might have doubts and reservations, and you're struggling with something right now, and you even wonder, I don't even know if he cares. I don't know if he's going to provide. And you're wrestling with all of this. But wouldn't you be better off, folks, trusting someone who cares a little, Then who cares? Zero. Wouldn't you be better off trusting in someone who knows your needs? Wouldn't you be better off trusting someone who promises to provide for you? Wouldn't you be better off trusting someone who actually gave His own Son, His own flesh and blood, who went to a cross and died upon it so that all of your sins could be forgiven and you could have a home in heaven? Wouldn't it be? Be worth trusting that. Don't you think He could provide for you if He was willing to give His only Son? Would you not be better off trusting someone who's not a zero? I mean, maybe He's only a one or two or three in the sense that you think He cares for you. But I'm telling you this, folks. He's not a zero. See, in this passage, Paul is not telling us to choose less security But I think what he's telling us is to choose the right security. He's inviting us to choose more of it. The kind of security that counts. The kind of security that is eternal. The kind of security that is with you no matter what you're going through. That gives you satisfaction and contentment and joy regardless of the level of wealth that you have. He's inviting you to do the financially wise thing. And that is to turn to the one who can give you ultimate security. And here's the thing. You have a choice. You have a choice, and it comes down to this question. It'll come up on the side screen. Will I put my trust in my riches or in the God who richly provides? Will I put my trust in my riches or in the God who richly provides? So this week, I want to give you a challenge. Two challenges, actually, and you can decide whether you want to do one or the other, or you want to do both. I know some of you are daredevils. You live no fear. You're like, give me a challenge, bunch. I'll do it. So for some of you, you'll do both. Here's the first one. In your program, you receive a little card that looks like this. It just says, it's free. It's free. And we've done this for years before and I started thinking to myself, why haven't we done this lately? We need to. And I have some of these in my car and what I want you to do is to do one random act of kindness of a good deed where you're generous to somebody else outside yourself. It might be a coworker, neighbor, friend, a total stranger, whatever, and then share this card with them not because we're trying to Necessarily get them to come to church, but that they would know that there is a God who freely gives generously to them. Now, some of you are like, dude, what's this going to cost? Because, you know, I'm on a limited income. I don't know. What's it going to cost me? So I thought of some creative ways that would cost you $2 or less to be able to do this. So some of you may spend more than that, but you could do this. Take a coworker out to eat. This is how you do it for $2 or less. You buy the Subway sandwich, and then you cut it in half. And you say, here. Here's your half. Okay? That's it. Now, here's the next one. Buy the coffee for the person behind you. Okay? Now, don't go to Starbucks because it's going to be more than $2, bucks. All right? Unless it's buy one, get one free or something. I don't know. Here's the next one. Pay for the person behind you at a drive-thru. My kids always love to do this. They're like, Dad! Come on, let's pay for the people behind us. And you know, I always have that family that's in a van, that there are, they're like stocked in there, like little clowns coming out, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like $37 at McDonald's, you know? But I want to be generous, so I'm going to do it, okay? I'm going to do it. Here's the next one. Take a bag of popcorn to a neighbor, okay? That's easy. That could be 50 cents. Microwave it, take it to them. Get your child's teacher a gift certificate. When was the last time you did something kind for a teacher? Write one of these down, say I'm going to do it this week. Offer to babysit for a neighbor or a coworker. That doesn't even cost anything. It might cost your sanity, but it doesn't cost, you know, financially you anything. And here's the last one. Make up your own random act of kindness, whatever it is. Just make it up. And then give them this card. Because Paul reminds us, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, here's the second challenge that I have for you. Some of you are Christ followers, and you love this church family. But the thing that now you have to trust God in is, are you willing to financially give to the jar? And you can do it on our app, and you can have it taken out regularly. Start with some percentage, whatever it is, and then give regularly and see how God would work in your life. This uh, past week, I threw my back out. And you don't realize how tough I am, but I've got electrodes in my back right now trying to keep some pain away. But in the midst of my back getting hurt, My parents were kind enough to take the girls, and so they weren't at the house. And my wife had to work last night. And so I was at home all by myself. And at the end of the month, I always write the first check for the next month because I want our church to do well. I give the first of my gift on that last Sunday of the month so that it goes ready as the month begins. And I was sitting down, and I was writing my check. And I still do checks. They have these little envelopes. I think I may be the only one that uses them. But if you're a check person, you can get them at the resource table too. Otherwise, you can do it on the app. But I was sitting down and I was writing this. And every time that Jennifer and I do it together, I do it by myself. And I write my tithe and offerings for this church. What immediately comes to my mind are the single parents or the single moms who... We help with a light bill or something else to get them through something. I think of some of the poorest kids in Jamaica who we provide some scholarships for. I think about some of the marriages that were totally crumbling, but because they got into a small group and they started seeing some other things about God, that their marriages got better. I think about grief share that's coming up in a couple of weeks where people have lost a loved one and they're hurting big time. And we get to help people to be able to get beyond their grief. I think about the hundreds of people who have gone to celebrate recovery over the past 10 years and their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, they've turned it around and their life is different now because of that. I think of the 600 people that we've impacted in the last couple of months, over 600, through the community basket where we give five items to people to show God's love in our community. And I think about my two little girls that get to go up to Jar Kids each week and they learn more about Jesus and His love for them. And for all of our students that come on Sunday nights for impact. So I'm writing my check last night and I'm thinking about all of this stuff and then it just hit me. I get to be a part of this. Like I actually get to be a part of this. God doesn't need anything from me but he actually says, Chris, I want you to be a part of this. And what a blessing it is. So this week, be generous to God and maybe think about for the first time that you're going to give Financially. And then think about one person that you could do a good deed to generously to show God's love and to give this card to. And this is what I know. That when you do that, you begin to live a life that is truly life. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that you would help us to experience your better life. God, forgive us for the ways that there are times in which we have cared more about money than we do you. God, I pray that all of us will remember that we are rich in you. And that when we put you first, in our finances, that You will provide for all of our needs. Because even though money might be the provision, God, You're the provider. You're the provider. God, help us to take hold of a life that is truly life and to put our trust in You. And God, maybe today for some folks, it would be the baptism class. That they know you, but they haven't committed their life to you. And today they could say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to have some lunch, childcare is taken care of. But today is my day to step, along, step across the line of faith and to say that, Jesus, I want you to be Lord in my life for others of you, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know anything about that, but I know I need to be made right with God. I need to know Him. But I just keep thinking that I'm just not good enough, that enough stuff in my past, I'm just not good enough. Folks, the reality is you'll never be good enough. You come to Jesus just as you are and He will forgive you. He will save you. He will transform your life. And some of you, you've been searching and searching and searching and there is nothing in this world that has satisfied your search. But I'm telling you right now that Jesus is the one who is the ultimate search engine. And you can find Him today. So today, if you want to follow Christ for the first time, or if today's the day where you're like, I'm ready to make a commitment to Him that I haven't in a while, I invite you to just pray this prayer after me. And here at the JAR, we never pray alone. We always pray together. And so just out loud, I invite you to repeat this prayer. It's your prayer, but repeat it after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender to you. Be the Lord of my life. Because you died for me, I choose to live for you. I want to live the life that is truly life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer for the first time. Welcome to the kingdom of God.
1: For joining us this morning, and if you did do the prayer to accept Christ, we want to celebrate in that with you. And we'd love for you to stop by the back table here in the corner and uh, just let them know, get some prayer, and also... You might want to also let us know on the Connect card on the back there's a place to check mark that. So, if you would go ahead and do that as well. So, we just want to celebrate with you and join in prayer with you with that. Um, while we have the Connect card out, if you would go ahead and fill this out. Um, Also on the back, there's a place for any needs of prayer requests. We do keep those confidential, so please uh, let us know what we can be in prayer for you for. Um, If you don't want to fill this out, but you want to fill everything out on the JAR app, that's a great easy way to do everything as well. So if you have not downloaded that, uh, I definitely suggest it. It's, like I said, a great easy way to get your prayer requests in, take notes on the teaching, uh, watch videos, and also fill out the Connect card as well. Well, at this time, I'd like to have the greeters come forward as we're going to receive an offering. Here at the JAR, we don't want to pressure anybody to give, but we want you to give as you feel led and as you feel led from your heart to do so. So as we do that at this time, uh, just bow your heads with me as we ask God to bless it. Dear God, we just thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for this church, and we pray that you just use this money to... Help those in our community, help those in the church, and just use it and bless it in your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, This is your first Sunday, or maybe you've been coming for a couple of weeks. We'd love it if you would stop by our guest connections table that's over here in this corner. Uh, She's standing up waving for you. So stop by. We'd love to extend a free gift and love to say hello to you. Also coming up, we've got the Parent Connection special event. We all know that parenting can be tough, especially in a tech world where the kids are on Facebook and on Twitter, Snapchat, all of those different things. So if you'd like to find out more about how you can maybe be more involved in that, uh, get signed up for the Parent Connection and that is going to be taking place on Saturday, March 3rd, from 10 a.m. to noon, and that is going to be at the East Washington Academy, so please take note of that. Child care will be provided, and you can get signed up on the app as well for that class, get signed up on our website, or you can contact Don Richmond. If you're struggling with the loss of a loved one, a great way to get connected and to share with other people is our grief share program. Um, We've got a couple of different options for you to do that. The group will be on Mondays at 6.30 and Tuesdays at 2 p.m., and that's starting March 5th and 6th, and that is going to be held at the JAR office. At this time, I'd like to invite the prayer team to come up. If you have any struggles that you want to have someone pray over with you or you just have other people you need to pray for, they will uh, definitely be here to help you in that this afternoon.
0: Getting old and a bad back do not go well together, okay? I can tell you. Um, Hey guys, so this week, it's your challenge. And you can go and you can do one kind act of generosity for someone. You do something kind and show them love and see what God would do with that. Let's stand. I just wanted you to leave today knowing this, that God cares for you a 10 out of 10 on a scale because you're a 10 in his eyes. So husbands, if you haven't told your spouse they're a 10, tell them. Wives, tell them they're an 8.5. All right. Have a good week, everybody. I know you're loving this one.